0: Let me ask you this, what did you go to bed with last night on your mind? What was it that was pulling you down into the depths of hopelessness, some type of sin, failure, or something in your life that's saying, that's saying you're not good enough? Listen, our living hope that we rejoice in is not in our ability to be perfect for God, but it's in his faithfulness to us regardless of our weakness. And we rejoice because no matter what, we are forgiven and we've been set free. And I have a living hope that is there for me always, always. I want us all to know no matter what it is, His grace abounds far much more than your sin. Give it to Him and rest in the forgiveness and move on with your day with joy because Jesus has died and risen for you. That's what we're here for. And that's what we're going to go to God right now and pray for. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for dying for us and rising for us and interceding and advocating for us this very moment. God, forgive us when we put the focus back on ourselves and we rely on ourselves. We will always be disappointed and experience misery in that. God, we're people who are admitting we're broken, that we need help, and that help only comes from you. So give us the joy and the peace the Spirit gives and work in our lives this morning, we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, church. It is good to see you. We are continuing again with part two of Spirit-Filled Relationships, and last week, we learned about the spirit-filled wife and what submission looks like for her being filled with the spirit. And today we're going to talk about spirit-filled husbands. And I want you to know that after the service in the lobby for a limited time for 1999, we do have for our wives um, brain-reading devices for your husband. Um, I'm just kidding. They're too expensive. We couldn't get them. Um, far much more. Ex- no, they don't even exist. I'm just kidding. And if they did exist, they probably only work for like a week because of the amount of energy and electrical power that it would have to pull to actually work. Your husband would be dead in a week. So we are not going to provide those. Please do not look for those. They do not exist. <laughs> but moving on. <laughs> don't you love it? You make yourself laugh at your own stupidity, man. Uh, let me, let me refocus us back to what we're talking about. We look back in Genesis and we see the perfect creation of God in man and woman, but in particularly husband and wife. And we see within the garden, we see Ephesians 5 being played out perfectly. And we see that the original relationship was so pure and perfect that the headship of the husband over his wife was a manifestation of his consuming, perfect, pure love for her. And her submission to his headship was a manifestation of her perfect, consuming love for him. There was no selfishness in it. There was no abuse in it. It was completely devoted and focused on the other. After the intent and the purpose of God which he provided for and created it for. Satan's attack on marriages is worldwide and everywhere. Everywhere. From the beginning he has been whispering in the ear of both the wife and the husband to live independently of each other. What God brought together in unity the enemy tries to break apart and destroy. They sinned and brought death and get this a curse to all of us. God cursed the earth in that Women would experience pain in childbirth and would be filled with a desire to overtake their husband's authority. The consuming love and natural submission to the one God created her for would give way to contentious, chauvinistic females who see men as brutes and idiots unable to accomplish simple tasks and would burn within themselves against the authority of their own husband, content to and hungry for authority herself within the marriage Adversely, men would leave the consuming love and gentle care of their wife that seems so natural in the garden and give way to emotionally unavailable chauvinists that will rule harshly over their wives, seeing women as objects and instruments for their bidding and pleasure that are in constant need of being put in line. Though an elaboration of the curse, I think, that we would agree an accurate assessment of how that looks today at its worst. I do not agree with the modern day feminist movement, but it's an understandable worldly outcome once you look at the history of oppression on women wives. A writer in ancient history said this, women were the worst plague Zeus made. Another said the two best days in a woman's life, this is horrible, or when someone marries her and when he carries her dead body to the grave. In most places, however, if they were allowed to live at birth, women were minimally educated, could not be witnesses in court of law, could not adopt children to make a contract, could not own property or inherit, and were viewed, as both Aristotle and Josephus said, in all respects to be inferior to man. They were seen as less intelligent, less moral, the source of sin, and a continual temptation. Clive Snodgrass said in his commentary on Ephesians, get this, this is what he said. He said, such misuse of Ephesians 5 is scandalous and cannot be tolerated. Christians must take a much more forceful stand against wife abuse and against all denigration of women. Churches must not only speak out against the problem, but be much more willing to confront, instruct, and if necessary, discipline members who are abusive. The problem is broader than physical abuse. The attitudes of men about women, and especially of husbands about wives, are often demeaning. Their comments may not be intended to hurt, but the truth is that husbands frequently belittle and ridicule their wives with comments about their level of intelligence, their worries, cooking, or habits. Wives, of course, are capable of the same sins. But husbands are more likely to engage in such belittling as the result of their sense of being head. The abuse of women in the family is a manifestation also of the sexual illness of our society. We live in a sex-diseased society that has developed manifold ways to debase women. Movies and TV focus on rape, violence, and use of women. One-fourth of all sex images in cyber sex involve the torture of women. And get this, here's what he says. Virtually, everyone agrees that all of this is terrible. But no one does anything. And worse, good people, good people still take part in it. Christians must separate themselves from such entertainment and from such treatment of women. It will not fit Christ. And some Christians have also distorted this passage by speaking of a husband's umbrella of authority So much emphasis is placed on the husband as head that he is seen as a privileged authority figure and wives are reduced to second-level status. In extreme cases, wives are not even held responsible for their actions. Their husbands are. Headship in this text has nothing to do with privilege. It is about the servant character of authority. Wives do have responsibility for their actions and they also have equal value. Husbands are not bosses to be served. And wives are not their unthinking slaves. Truly, as Charles told us last week, the curse is alive and well and working today. I hope we can see that in God's word here, that Christ's love and salvation is the only cure for this curse. Husbands, I want to speak to you personally, being a husband myself, Husbands, I pray we are not guilty of using the Bible to our selfish advantage to somehow elevate and demand submission and respect from our wives. Our position of headship is not a privilege, get this, or a superiority. It is a responsibility, a responsibility. We are not special just because we are men. We have been sovereignly made a man by God, and with that comes great responsibility. God is going to judge us on the basis of how we used that responsibility of headship for the goodness, betterment, and tender care of our wife. And if we abuse that position, we can be sure God is paying attention, and so is the leadership of this church. Besides the arms of Christ, a husband's should be the most secure, comforting, loving, respectable, gentle, gentle, reliable bosom for a wife to confide. And before you think I'm giving colorful rhetoric to tickle the ears of the unappeasable wrath of our liberal culture and its attack on husbands, let me say this. Standing up for wives is not giving them man's position while tailoring down the image of God in males. It's pointing both husbands and wives to the only one who can do something about the evil inside of us all. We need the gospel of Christ. And without it, we all will perish. A spirit filled relationship, a spirit filled relationship will bring mutual submission to one another. We talked about a couple weeks ago about the spirit, be filled with the spirit, and what's the result? What does the Spirit do in your life? The Spirit gives you the power to be able to do what God wants you to do. We cannot in our own flesh, so we must be filled with the Spirit. It brings joy and peace and gratitude, and it also brings mutual submission in the marriage. That's what we're seeing. We're seeing Spirit-filled husbands and wives submitting to one another. The wife submitting to the headship of her husband, and the husband submitting to the great needs of her wife and loving her tenderly that's what we're seeing so here's what I want us to see today I want us to see the command that only that only spirit-filled husbands and wives can desire and yield to that's what we're seeing in this series as we look at in Ephesians the command that only spirit-filled today particularly spirit-filled husbands can desire and yield to. Last week the spirit-filled filled wife is called to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Today we're going to look at the spirit-filled husband. So let's turn to Ephesians 5 starting in verse 25. Ephesians 5 verse 25 in verse 25 the command is given for the spirit-filled husband and it's simple, it's this. Husbands, love your wives. Easy, right? That's it. That's all you got to do, husbands. Love your wives. Go ahead and check that off the list. You guys can go ahead and leave and go home. Happy Mother's Day. We're good. It's not that easy, men. It is not that easy. This word love is far more deep and far reaching than we could imagine in our own strength. And we're going to look at Christ. To be able to understand true love. Before we look at Christ, though, here's what we got to do. We have to do this. We got to look at what loving our wife is not. If you're taking notes down, I want you, especially as a husband, here's what loving your wife is not. Here's a few things I want to give us so we can dispel any inaccurate thought about what love truly is. First and foremost, the main thing in this passage is that love is not a condition. Loving your wife is not a condition. Someone who would love their wife in a conditional way might say something like this. I'll love her when she, or she doesn't deserve love. Same thing goes for the wives. I'll submit when he, or he doesn't deserve submission. This passage is calling us to an unconditional type of submission and love to one another. Husbands, loving your wife is unconditional. We're going to see that the word love, agape, is the type of love that has no condition on it. It seeks the best interest of the person at the sole forgetfulness of yourself. Putting yourself last and what the other person needs completely, regardless of if they deserve it or not. First and foremost, loving our wife is not a condition. Secondly, look at this. Loving our wife is not a duty. What do you mean by that? I'm a husband and I'm a man, so I know very well the temptations. And all of these came from my own failures. That's why I know how to talk about what the bad parts are, because I struggle with them all. A husband who loves his wife in the duty sense may say something like this: I work, pay the bills, provide, what more do you want from me? See something wrong with that? It's like the teenager saying, like, I took out the garbage, what more do you want from me? And parents are like. It's the attitude. You don't care. It's not about just doing your duty or treating this marriage like it's a job and you check it off. I want more from you. I want a heart. And when we say things like this, we show that our wife is just an inconvenience and a duty. Thirdly, loving our wife is not an assumption. Man, how often can we be so ignorant? of what she needs to assume that she knows we love her. She knows I love her. I tell her every morning. Love is not an assumption. Fourth, look at this. Love is not a compromise. Look on the screen here. Listen, I, if you've ever said the statement, happy wife, happy life, I want you to spend about Six hours repenting in sackcloth and ashes (laughs) today. And hopefully you haven't been guilty of telling a newly married couple or someone that's about to get married within the the chance that you get to give advice to young people who are about to get married, hopefully that's not what comes out of your mouth. No, not happy wife, happy life. You know what you're communicating when you say that? really you're still communicating, it's all about me, and I'll do whatever I have to to keep her from getting on my back. If you want a happy life, you'll just compromise and give in to what she wants, keep her happy, so then you can be happy. That's not love. And stop saying that, please. Please stop saying that. This is what love is not. There's a fifth one that's not on here, but I want to give. Loving your wife, men, get this, is not easy. Wives, when you hear that, you're probably like, oh, it should be easy to love me. Come on. It should flow from a romantic desire to just want to cover me, cover me with love and affection and passion. It should be easy, but it's not. I'll tell you why. Remember, we all have been cursed. Do you know what that means? That means we have with on us a curse that will not go away as long as we're in this body. And the curse is exactly attacking the very thing that this is asking us to do. It is a curse upon women to want to not submit to their authority or their husbands. And so therefore it is not easy for wives to submit to their husbands. It's not easy. And so men, you should be sympathetic to the fact that their curse is causing It's very hard to do the thing that she needs to do. And in the same way, wives, you need to be sympathetic to your husbands. And the fact that he's cursed because of sin. And it is not going to be natural and easy for him to do what this passage is saying. Loving one another is not easy because of the curse. And so hopefully in that, we can bring some more understanding and sympathy in our marriage relationship as we try to do this together with the power of the Spirit. Now ladies, forgive me, but if you are amening inside and saying something like, yeah, get him, tell him, let me ask you, how are you helping him love you? Or are you making that unconditional job really, really hard? You may, you, are you being easy to love? Because the Bible itself sympathizes with the husband who dwells with the hard-to-love wife. You know that, right? Let me read you a couple verses. Proverbs twenty-one nineteen says, Better to live in a desert than with the quarrelsome and nagging wife. Wives, your goal should be not to fulfill that verse. Proverbs 27:15 says a constant dripping on a rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Restraining her is like holding back the wind or grasping oil with one's right hand. God, help us as wives not to fulfill that verse. Spirit-filled husbands love their wives like this. Verse 25 of Ephesians says this husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. This type of love, listen, this type of love cannot be studied in school or found in a textbook, this type of love cannot be manifested or figured out on your own because it is completely contrary to any type of love that the world knows. This is a love that your money can't buy, your strength can't match, your logic can't comprehend, your pride can't endure, your charm tries to fake, your fantasies can't imagine, your feet can't outrun, your hands can't build, your reputation and status can't abide, your buddies can't teach, your wife mustn't experience Elsewhere and what you yourself Cannot live without A love that is so deep and pure It pours directly from the heart Of the omnipotent God A love that endures all manner Of evil, a love that sacrifices Everything for the one that doesn't Deserve it, a love that throws itself In the midst of danger, even death To protect and care for the one It loves, a love that transcends Mankind's counterfeits True love what all the world romanticizes, unable to, even in its perfect stories, to be able to create and understand the love that comes from the one who is love itself, God. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What we're going to see in this passage is Paul is going to literally divert from husbands and just start focusing on Jesus. Focusing on Christ and his love. And guess what? Husbands and wives, the same thing happened with the wife when giving the command is he turned his attention to Jesus and he focused on the submission of Jesus. And now here with love for husbands, he's going to turn and just talk about Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the solution for everything. He's the one. We need to be looking to him in everything. So husbands, the Power is not in the command to love your wives. The power is in the, is, in, is in the knowing and experiencing what Jesus has already done for us and emulating Him. Emulating Him. He's the answer. Go to Jesus. Focus on Him. Look how, G, look how Paul focuses on Jesus here. Here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about what love truly is. Loving your wife like Christ means several things. Let's look at it together. So he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Loving your wife means laying your life down for her. That means laying it down. That means putting her life before your own. To the greatest extent, being willing to die for her. First John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and then in turn we ought to lay down our lives For our brothers. Little insert here the command to husbands and wives for each other has already been in Scripture and previously in the book of Ephesians been commanded to all of us, to one another. This isn't just something husbands and wives do for each other, we do it for all of the brothers and sisters in the body. We know love. How do we know true love? We know it in the gospel because we see Jesus showing us true love, a type of love that will die for the enemies. Romans 5 teaches us and uses human logic, scarcely, scarcely will a man die for a righteous person, right? Right? Okay, at my best day, I can lay my life down for someone that I love. But supernatural love that comes from God, from Jesus, is a love that gives itself up for the person that is their enemy in the moment. That does not make sense to us. And this is the type of love That God is telling husbands to have for their wives. Here's what it means. Again, no condition. I don't care how evil and Jezebel of a wife you have. You lay your life down for her. You lay your life down for her. You love her. You put her first. You supernaturally, by the power of the Spirit, you give your life for her like Jesus. Loving your wife like Christ means laying your life down for her. Secondly, loving your wife like Christ means caring for her spiritual welfare. He says this in verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Let's focus on Jesus for a second. What did Jesus do for the church? What has Jesus done for us? Notice here, he is the object. He is the object. He is the one who sanctified her. He is the one who cleansed her. He is the one who is presenting her and going to present her without spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. He is the one. And so the good news in this, as Paul is kind of diverting to really just focus on the gospel, is the reminder of what Christ has done for us all. We desperately needed help. We desperately were lost and and dead in our sins, and Jesus comes in and he rescues us, meeting our greatest need. That word sanctify there means to be set apart. Set apart. The same thing happens in marriage when the bride was set apart for the husband, belonging to him. His. And Christ has set us apart for Him, for His purpose. It says here, having cleansed her. Notice that that is past tense. Your cleansing from sins has already happened. And Jesus cleansed His church when He died on the cross and said, it is finished and confirmed it by rising from the dead. Remember when Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples, and he was washing their feet, and he comes to Peter, and Peter says, you, you shouldn't wash my feet, I should wash yours, and he said, Peter, if I do not wash your feet, you have no part with me, and he said, okay, wash my whole body then, and Jesus said, no, 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 you're already clean because of the word that I spoke to you, and those who are clean only need their feet washed. Listen, if you're a child of God, you are a child of God forever. You have been cleansed by Jesus. And how has he made us clean? It says here, by the washing of water with the word. That word washing would have probably made his viewers and those listening think back to the Greek ceremony of the washing of the wife before marriage, where she literally would, would go down symbolically and wash herself in water, making herself pure and perfect for her husband. And all past failures, past defilements, all of that would be symbolically washed away. And he's using a symbolism here of simply cleaning. And how has he done it? He's cleaned us by the word, hearing of the gospel. And those who've placed their faith in Jesus have been made clean and forgiven of their sins always. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Ephesians 1. We saw the purpose that God chose us in Him that we would be holy and blameless before Him. And how does He do that? How does He accomplish that? Through the filling of the Spirit, through His power. He does it. Jesus cared for our spiritual welfare, giving Himself for us, sanctifying us, cleansing us, making us holy and blameless. So what does this have to do with husbands then? Let me make it clear. Earlier last week we found out that wives have a Savior and it's Jesus. It's not the husband. Jesus is their Savior. Jesus is the one who's done these things for us. The husband isn't to sanctify her, to cleanse her. All of that's happened for everyone who's in Jesus. But what's the point he's making here? The point he's making is that we love Jesus like him. And we have a care And a watch over our wife as the spiritual leader, looking out for her spiritual welfare, caring about the sins that get into our home, caring about what we're exposed to, making sure and being the spiritual leader who wants to see us both together flourish and grow in a pure, wholesome relationship with Jesus. And husbands, we need to be the ones protecting our family and especially our wives from sin, and the evil that's in the world. I've been witness, personally, to men who have allowed pornography in their home, and even included it in their marriage, and tried to excuse it away, and only lead to disaster in their marriage. We have a responsibility to protect our marriage from those types of things. We care for her spiritual welfare. Thirdly, look at this. Loving our wife like Christ means caring for her as ourself. Caring for her as ourself. He says there in verse 28, In the same way, husbands, in the same way, as we're talking about Jesus, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Husbands, do you see the answer? Do you see it? Jesus is the key. You must know him, love him, follow him, look up to him, study him, live for him. You'll never grow close to your wife like you need to unless you grow close to him. You'll never sacrifice for her unless you've experienced his sacrifice for you. If in your heart you know you're missing it with your wife and you're cut to the core with your lack of love for her, yes, the curse is against you always. You must run to Jesus. He will teach you how to love but you must receive his love and abide in it. Christ loved the church in the same way husbands care for her as yourself. Love her as your own bodies. He says here next, he who loves his wife loves himself. Why does he say that? And then he says in verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. He who loves his wife loves himself. What's he trying to say here? Love your wife like yourself because she is part of yourself. Love your wife like yourself because she actually is part of yourself. When you got married, you guys became one flesh, and she is part of you. And so to deny her the basic instinct of caring for her just like you would care for yourself. You wake up in the morning, you take care, you brush your teeth. When you're hungry, you feed yourself. When you're cold, you give yourself warmth. When you need encouragement, you find encouragement. Or look for it when you're bored. You try to entertain yourself. It's all natural. And he's saying the natural love for yourself should be extended to your wife. And hating her is like hating your own flesh. It's like, I'm going to be good to my right leg today, my left leg, I'm going to tie you up. You're not getting anything today, lefty. No one ever hated himself. Your wife is a part of you. And if you hate her, you're hating yourself, because we nurture and we cherish our bodies. How? Just as Christ does the church? Because the church, each and every one of us, are a direct, direct member of his body, actually a member of the body of Christ. We're a part of it, and so Christ is going to take care of his body, and how good does he take care of us? Beautifully, he cares for us and he looks out for us, and he looks to meet our needs. Not just spiritually, but also our daily needs. He cares for them. The scripture says, cast all your anxieties and care for me. Because I care for you. I care for you. Come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Husbands, care like that. Care about your wife. As yourself. This is not a command to love yourself. The implication is you already do. So love your wife in the same way and care, that you care for yourself, care for her. Look at this fourth one. Loving your wife means staying permanently devoted to her. Loving your wife means staying permanently devoted to her. 31 says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. All the way back to the book of Genesis when God created marriage and he made it, and he made this statement. That a man leaves, he leaves, a wife leaves father and mother as well, and the two hold fast to each other. The word there literally means to cement or glue, they literally become one flesh and they become the strongest binding relationship besides the personal relationship with Jesus that we see on planet earth, is between a man and woman in marriage. And God finds it very serious. You have become one flesh with her. And the implication there is now there's unity. There's permanence. Husbands, we need to stay devoted to our wife. Stay devoted to our wife. No matter the circumstance. No matter matter what's going on. Let me remind you of the book of Hosea where God is himself trying to show the permanent devotion that he has for his people. Through what? Through a marriage marriage. And so he tells tells Hosea to go marry a prostitute. And what do we see happening? We see she continuously leaves him and commits adultery time and time and time again. Completely leaves him. Totally undeserving wife of the love of her husband. And what does God say all the time? Take her back. Take her back. Take her back. Why? Because that's what I do for you. That's what I do for you. Husbands love like that. how good is it, church, to know that God loves us like that? We're constantly running away, and He's constantly chasing us down and bringing us back. And the wives get the, awso- the husbands get the awesome privilege of loving their wives like that. doesn't just mean that husbands do and wives don't, but we're talking specifically about the husband this morning. Stay permanently devoted to her because you're one with her. And then look at this, probably the most important one, the final one. Keep the gospel center. If you want to love your wife like Christ loves the church, then every focus, every conversation, every motivation you have will be in and through the gospel and the good news of Jesus because your marriage represents that. Verse 32, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. What does it mean by mystery? Mystery being something that previously was not known and could not be figured out on our own. God reveals and shows that this thing, marriage, has had a greater picture and a greater reason this whole time. And the mystery of Christ and his church, the Messiah, God himself, dying for and securing and marrying his bride, the church. Husbands and wives, the gospel must be center in your marriage. It must be the focus because it is the power of the gospel that changes. It is the power of the gospel that's going to work in and through your marriage. Look at verse 33. We're talking about spirit-filled relationships, and so Paul spends a little bit of time of mentioning the wife, and then he talks in length to the husband. Husbands and wives, we must be spirit-filled. And husbands, we must be willing to accept the responsibility. If you think, oh, he's being too harsh on the husbands this morning. Do you think God was too harsh on Adam when Eve was the one who sinned and he got blamed for it? We are the head of We are held responsible. So the responsibility will fall to us. Our accountability will be over our wife and our family. And so husbands, we have a great calling. And we need to be willing, we need to be willing to accept the focus and the pressure that's on our shoulders. Not trying to deflect and point, well what about the wife? Be easier on the wife. We both have responsibilities. And husband's, ours is the head. Let's fulfill that responsibility in the love of Jesus for this beautiful treasure called a wife that he has given to us. It's our opportunity to reflect the gospel that he's given to us to her. And let me remind you of a parable where Jesus talked about a servant that had been forgiven of millions of dollars of debt, an impossible debt completely forgiven and shown mercy. And then what did that servant do? He went to one of his servants who owed him just a little bit of money and choked him and said, give me what you owe me. And when that master found out what that servant did, he said, you wicked servant. I forgave you all of your debts should you not have done the same. Listen, there is no amount of offense and sin that your spouse has done to you and brought in you that's not worse than what you've brought to God and he's forgiven you of everything you've done. So husbands and wives, there is no excuse if we call ourselves Christians not to submit to our husbands in everything and not to love our wives as ourselves. And so look what he says here in conclusion. However, that word however means, okay, I've said a lot, I've kind of digressed, but here's what's most important. However, let each of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Mutual submission. We both have a part to do and we both need to be filled with the Spirit if we want to accomplish it. Because without the Spirit, if we're resisting Him, we will not accomplish this. Keep your focus in focus. Wives, you elevate the headship of your husband. He doesn't and shouldn't. And submit to him. Husbands, you elevate her needs. She doesn't and shouldn't. And love her with all of your being here's what I want to leave you with as we're concluding. I know that as we elevate and we talk about the perfect marriage, it can feel overwhelming, right? Let's just, if you're married, say amen. This, if you feel overwhelmed by the expectation of what it means to love your spouse, say amen. Amen. Here's the good news though. Here's what I want you to know. It is okay to feel this way. I can't do this. That's okay to fill. What do I mean by that? You're right. You can't do this. That's why we need the gospel. That's why we need the spirit. That's why we need Jesus' power, and we have to let the spirit fill us because we can't. And when we think we can and we think we're good, we're elevating ourselves in pride, and the Bible tells us that we're in danger of falling, and we need to humble ourselves. Here's what it's not okay to do. If you're sitting here this morning, it's not okay to say this, I don't want that. You're a wife, you say, I don't believe that's what I should do. I don't need to submit, and you can't make me submit. You are resisting the Spirit and God's Word and what's actually good for you. And so do not walk away concluding that you're filled with the Spirit because you're resisting and quenching Him in this moment. Husbands, you can't say, I don't want this. That's a heart that's resisting God's work in your life. It's okay to say I can't, God help, but not okay to say I don't and I won't. Don't resist this. Now let me bring it home to, to the marriages even more so. Listen to what I'm saying. Everybody clue in, especially if you're married and especially if you have kids, especially if you're having kids, or even if you plan to in the future. Here's what's really important. We're going to talk about kids next week. The households of parents and children. And every single parent grieves over the disobedience and the dishonor of their children, and they desperately want their kids to honor and love and obey them. And so parents do everything they can. They throw money. They throw counseling. They do everything they can to try to fix their kid. Listen to this. If you're trying to strive to make your kids who they need to be and your marriage is falling apart, you are actually leading them further away from the gospel and not closer to it the greatest help for your children is for you to be spirit-filled and to grow closer as a husband and wife and let them see Christ at work in your marriage. Let them see what mutual submission looks like so when you turn to them and say, you need to mutually submit to me, in the Lord, being spirit-filled, they'll have an example to look to. Otherwise, we're hypocrites. Our relationship with our spouse is at stake. Our joys at stake. The gospel's at stake. People seeing the gospel at stake. And our kids... Devotion to the Lord and influence is at stake if we don't want to let God work in our marriage. The curse is alive and well, but Jesus is alive and well, and he has secured salvation for his children and power through his spirit to be able to do what he's called them to. Remember, he's the one who presents us holy and blameless. He who began a good work will bring it into completion. So if you are believers and you want Jesus to work and you're giving yourself to the the righteousness of God and you're saying, God, use me, make me, your marriage will grow won't be perfect, but it will continue to grow, and it will shine forth the gospel for all to see. That's what we want, and that's what we pray for here in our church. Let's pray. Father, we want Christ-filled marriages, not cursed filled marriages, and unless we let Christ in, we will only manifest the curse. God, be patient with us as wives. Be patient with us as husbands. Show us what you want us to do. Move us, empower us, and give us what we need for this day. We love you and thank you for your word. And we thank you for Jesus, God. And we pray all of this in his awesome, precious name. Amen. Amen.